You know, I took uh, eight weeks off and I thought, let's do an eight week series and just preach through the whole Bible, right? I've had eight weeks to prepare. So we are gonna start in Genesis chapter one today. So you can turn there. Uh, we're gonna begin a new series today that we're calling The Big Picture as we trace the Bible storyline beginning with creation and make our way to new creation uh, in week number eight. You think about that, often we approach the Bible, at least people often approach the Bible uh, as if it's just a collection of randomly compiled stories when in reality, in these 66 books, you have over 40 human authors written over a period of 100 or 1,500 years or so, and yet you have one unified overarching narrative. It is not a, randomly collect, not a random collection group of stories. It has a beginning and it has an end and it has a point to make. And that's what we wanna walk through over these next eight weeks together as we look at the big picture, the big story line of the scripture. And we're gonna begin this morning with Genesis chapter one. I'm going to read the entire chapter into chapter two, verse three. So you can just hold tight as we read this chapter and begin here literally in the beginning. So we're gonna look at that together. So let's consider God's word together. Genesis chapter one, beginning in verse one. We read the following. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and separated and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and he called the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be, uh, be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth be, bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts and the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. 
God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed and its, and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heaven and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word and consider the very first chapter of it. Lord, would you come now and by your spirit, give us understanding, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to receive, that we may know you better and know you more clearly, that we might be able to love you more faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. It was in the August 10th edition of the New York Times, there was an article published by philosophy professor Preston Green entitled, Are We Living in a Computer Simulation? Let's Not Find Out. He begins the article this way. He said, since the 1990s, researchers in the social and natural sciences have used computer simulations to try to answer questions about our world. What causes war? Which political systems are the most, value, or most stable? How will climate change affect global migration? The quality of these simulations is variable since they are limited by how well modern computers can mimic the vast complexity of our world. And then he goes on to say this, but what if computers one day were to become so powerful and these simulations so sophisticated that each simulated person in the computer code were as complicated an individual as you or me, to such a degree that these people believed they were actually alive. And then he says this, and what if that has already happened? Now imagine that. Imagine all that we know, even this morning, was nothing more than a computer simulation, right? I mean, Fortnite has nothing on us, right? I mean, this is, this is just simulated, like a big programmed video game of some kind created by some higher advanced uh, culture somewhere else, and we're just kind of their toy. Or, as many are taught today, that this world is nothing more than the result of random, undirected natural processes. Take your pick. Computer simulation, random process. Well, I have good news. You don't have to pick either of those. 
We are not the result of a computer simulation, nor are we the result of a random sequence of events. We were created by a creator and that reality makes all the difference in the world. So we think about the doctrine of creation. The doctrine of creation is foundational to so many things about life. And it is foundational to us as Christians because of what it reveals about God and about his creation. Ultimately, it is foundational because it reveals to us the truth about who God is. It magnifies the supremacy of God. And so you come to Genesis chapter one and so many people wanna approach different things today, including the Bible, as if everything was all about them. And you come to the Bible this morning and you understand right off the bat that the Bible is not ultimately about you or about me. The Bible is ultimately about God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verses one and two make it clear that it all begins with God. Immediately, God is the subject of not just the chapter, but the entirety of scripture. In fact, in chapter one, we see the name of God no less than 35 times. And God said, and God made, and God created, so God blessed. There's never been a time when God was not. Even in the beginning, God was. We see both his preexistence and his independence. God existed fully and perfectly before creation existed. Psalm 90 verse two, the psalmist gets that right. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So as we consider the truth of creation and ultimately what it points us to, namely God, I want us to consider four realities that creation reveals about God this morning from this first chapter in the Bible. As we consider creation, It's my prayer that as we consider these four realities from the text, that our perspective of God, of life, and everything else would be strengthened and shaped in such a way that we might further live to glorify God for all that he's worth. So let's look at these four realities together. First of all, creation reveals God's authority. As we think about the creation, as we think about the the beginning, Creation reveals God's absolute sovereign authority over all things. As you move out of verses one and two, which really introduced to us the fact that God is and that he created the heavens and the earth, you begin to go forward in verses three all the way down to verse 31, and you begin to see the days of creation and what God was doing on each particular day. But before we move to the what of creation, I want us to see the how of creation. No less than eight times we see the phrase, and God said, and God said. God creates from nothing but his own word. He willed creation into being. Psalmist, again, in Psalm 33, verse six, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Brothers and sisters, the greatness of God is shown to us here by the fact that God only needed to say, let there be. 
and things were made. Total authority. Absolute sovereignty on display right here in the creation account. Listen, you and I cannot will things into being. We just can't, right? We'd already have a church building if that was the case. Just let there be a church building. Your bank accounts would be unlimited. Your children would be perfect. On and on we could go, right? You don't, you don't will, th- just try it. Just sit there and try it for a minute. Try to will something. I wanna see it happen. You can't. It's ridiculous, right? We can't do that, but God speaks and things happen. The power of his word, the authority of his word, we see that here. It's a glorious truth about our great God. His word is powerful and effective. Notice the refrain throughout these verses. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. God's authoritative word, listen, is a certain word. When God speaks, things will happen. When God speaks, it's not a possibility of something would happen. When God speaks, there is certainty behind his word because he has an authoritative word. His word can be trusted. That should be encouraging to us. God is a speaking God and his word is a powerful word and his word can be trusted. It's a certain word. So encourage us, when God says something, it will come to pass. You can trust his word. He demonstrates that as he creates by his word. And as you just think about the, the general revelation of God in creation, he spoke and it came into being. And even in his special revelation of scripture, he speaks the word and we read the word and we can trust this word because God's word is authoritative. This is absolutely foundational to understanding who God is. And by the way, we'll see this next week. It was this very word that Satan, the serpent, questioned in the garden, wasn't it? Remember what he said? He said to to the Eve, surely God didn't say. You see how important it is to, to base our faith and our certainty and our future and our hope on the authoritative word of God. And it's the very word of God that Satan and the world will seek to question and undermine. God, God, the creation reveals to us God's authority. He speaks and it came into being, but also, number two, God reveal, or creation reveals God's goodness. Creation reveals God's goodness. Now, we're not going to do a deep dive into the days of creation this morning, but I do want us to see a a few important things here. Uh, Often there are a couple of words that are used to, to describe the days of creation, particularly two, God formed and then God filled. God formed and then God filled. Days one, two, and three, we see God forming as he creates light, the heavens, land, and sea. And then in days four through six, he fills these with sun, moon, stars, fish, birds, livestock, and eventually man and woman. So God forms and then he fills. And then we see at least six times throughout the text after he creates this phrase, and he saw that it was good. God's creation was good. He created and he said it was good. God creates a world filled with goodness. And that goodness can be seen in many different ways. Just a couple of things to point out. First of all, it's good in that it's orderly. 
meticulously so. God, creation was not chaotic. You see, at the beginning, in the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the, of the deep. But what God takes at that point, what God does at that point is he brings order into that. Creation was not chaotic. Everything had its place. He sovereignly set boundaries. God took what was dark and empty and brought that which had light and form and order. We can see there's so many endless examples of this. You know, at the, at the, go to the beach and you can just see the, the order of God's creation as you see the water make its way and goes no further. It goes back based upon the tides and all of those things. God created these things. Think about this, just a few examples. On earth, oxygen comprises 21% of the atmosphere. And that precise figure makes life possible. If it was 25%, fires would erupt spontaneously. If it was less than that, around 15%, we would suffocate. The 23 and a half degree axis tilt of the earth is just right. If the tilt were altered slightly, surface temperatures would change drastically and life would be difficult, if not impossible. Think about DNA, the trillions of DNA molecules in humans, each one containing more than 30 volumes, each one of the some 30 trillion or trillions of, of DNA molecules in your body, 30 volumes of what would be equivalent to an encyclopedia. Friends, God's goodness is seen all the way to the molecular level. God doesn't just create a general world with kind of general things. He creates, and he creates orderly. We see that order in a variety of different ways as well, that God is the creator. He's the sovereign over the universe, and then he creates the creatures, and then man and woman to rule over the creatures. There's even order in his structure. And friends, that should encourage us. God doesn't just act in general ways. He acts in very detailed meticulous ways. He works down to the very minute detail. And when you think about your own life, he has done the same and is doing the same. It's an orderly creation, which is good. It's a functional creation. Second reality that we see, when God created the vegetation and the animals, notice he does so according to their kind. They have divinely imposed limitations. And within those limitations, we see all kinds of variety, don't we? God made things to reproduce, but even as he does so, he does so within his own determined limits. Well, that is to say that creation is not a matter of random events or computer simulation. The sun, the moon, the clouds, the trees, water, the fields, sea creatures, the birds, livestock, all exist and function to sustain life as God intended. It's very functional which is good. I'm thankful for cows, all right? I still haven't got my steak from some of you, but I'm thankful God created cows. I'm thankful that God created watermelon. I love watermelon. You know, and, and they continue to, to reproduce so that we have ongoing supply. See that it's a functional creation, it's good. Number three, it's a testimony. Creation is a testimony to God's worthiness. He created the world and is actively present in it. Every morning, every day is a testimony to the faithful presence of God, not only 
on, uh, over his creation, but in his creation. Revelation 4 verse 11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You see, the worthiness of God is tied to his creation here. You are worthy, why? Because you created everything. God's creation points us to the creator so that he might receive worship and praise. I wonder if we've lost our sense of amazement at the goodness of God. One of our duties as God's creatures is to honor him as the creator, that we would worship him. And sometimes I think it's good, not sometimes, frequently, it would be good for us to get the glow of our screens out of our faces and let the glow of the sun or the moon shine into our faces that it might refresh us with a sense of God's goodness. When's the last time that you looked at the water or a tree or sunset, a piece of food, and just thought, God is so good. And you just were kind of caught up in a moment of his goodness and his glory. When's the last time that happened? When, when is the last time that happened with you and for you? It, it should be something that, a common experience for us. Because creation is a testimony to the glory of God. The, the, the heavens declare the glory of God, the psalmist says. The sky proclaims the work of his hands. We should be amazed and drawn to worship the creator by his creation. Listen, we're gonna find out next week that creation's messed up right now. It's broken because of sin. It's messed up, it's jacked up, we would say, right? Because of sin entering the world. And yet these, think about the sunsets, beautiful sunsets around here, any, any disagreements? You don't have mountains, but you got great sunsets, right? We got sunsets here. Beautiful, and they're broken. It's a jacked up sunset. When the next one you see, you're like, that's beautiful. It's messed up right now because of the curse. You imagine what the new creation's gonna be. Imagine what it would be without sin. When's the last time that you looked even at a cursed creation, which still has beauty in it, and thought, isn't God amazing? Friends, if that's been a while for you, you're just simply too busy. Too busy. I know things have to be done in this world, but one of the, 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 the highest privilege and call, joy and calling that you and I have is to, is to be a worshiper of the true and living God. It's a testimony. Creation reveals the goodness of God. Number three, creation reveals God's design. Creation reveals God's design. And we see that particularly in verse 26. We see God's design even in his creation all the way through days one through six. As he creates, as he forms in days one through three, and then he fills. We see order, we see goodness, we see design there. But I particularly want us to consider the design when it comes to humanity, to men and women. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over livestock and over the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So during day six, after God created living creatures, we have yet one more act of creation Beginning in verse 26, the creation of mankind. 
By the way, you kind of see throughout the days of creation an ascending order of importance in the creation account with humanity kind of being the pinnacle, the high mark of creation. Several important points to draw out here from the creation of humanity. First of all, we need to, understand, we need to consider the image of God. God creates man and woman, and this time we're told that he does so in a different way that he created the other creatures. He creates male and female in his own image. In his own image. Nothing else in all creation has this privilege. By being created in God's image, we were created to resemble him in some way. You can see that in a variety of different ways, whether it's morally or spiritually or mentally, relationally, physically. Think about that, as majestic as the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the oceans, the birds, the livestock, as wonderful as your super smart dog is, nothing rivals humanity as the image bearers of God. It's only, you think about that, it's, it's only after the creation of the man and the woman in verse 31 that God then declares, not only was it good, but it was very good. It was very good. The image of God on display in Adam and Eve. A couple of implications here. I think we need to take away just practically for a moment. When we think about the image of God, we need to first and foremost understand that life is to be honored. Life is to be honored. Everyone from womb to the tomb has dignity and value as the image bearers of God. Male and female, black, brown, and white, Young and old, born and unborn, sick and well, able-bodied and disabled, rich and poor, and on and on we can go. The image of God is expressed in beautiful diversity. And life from beginning to end is to be valued and honored because we, friends, are created in the image of God. Everyone has dignity because everyone bears the image of God. And that has radical impact on how we are called to interact with other people, with our culture, with, with others. Direct impact on how we're to interact as we, as we think about just, just honoring those who bear the image of God. Whether it's the unborn or those who are born, young or old, Think so, think, even as we pursue matters of justice in this world, fighting for racial equality, meeting physical needs, caring for the sick and the dying, seeking to meet the needs of the poor, the marginalized in our societies. You think, well, those are, those are Christian things that we're called to do. Actually, they're, Im they're image of God things we're called to do. If people bear the image of God, they're worth valuing and they're worth fighting for. People should not be valued for what they can contribute, but they should be valued because they bear the image of their creator. Even you, you may be here this morning, you may be struggling with your own identity. Maybe you're just struggling with, with, with your identity. Who are you? And see, the problem is, is that, that culture and, and the world in general often try to tempt us and tell us that we are identified by, by our sexuality, 
uh, by the fact of whether or not we're married or whether or not we're able to have children or whether or not we're a, a productive contributor to society, whether or not we have a college degree, whether or not this or that, and your, your identity is shaped by these things. Wrong. You are a, a, an image bearer of the creator. That's who you are. You have value and worth and dignity because you have been created in the image of God, period. There are all these other things we wade through in life, but those things do not define you. You're not gonna be defined by, by these other categories. You are defined simply because you bear the image of God and because of that, you and your life has value and worth. Life is to be honored. A second implication, gender is good. Gender is good. It's clear from the text that God made both male and female in his image. God created gender. First time God says that something is not good is in verse 18 of chapter two when he said, it is not good that man should be alone. It was all in chapter one, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. Then he says in chapter two, uh, it's not good that man should be alone. So he creates woman to complement the man and what the man lacks, she now completes. It's a beautiful picture that we have here of the complementarian uh, nature of male and female, equal in value, complementing each other, man and woman sharing in human sameness. And this sameness has priority even over their differences, though those differences are significant. I think sometimes when we think about male-female uh, existence and even status in society and in the church and home and those kinds of things, we're often too quick to run to the differences. When the Bible begins with sameness, male and female created in the image of God, it's a beautiful thing. Some think that later on in chapter two, we see that woman was created be man's helper and some have taken that word helper and, and caused all kinds of messes with it. Some say, say that it implies subordination. That is not all the case. There's not any kind of implication of subordination here. This same word helper is used in reference to God as he relates to Israel as Israel's helper. And God was certainly not subordinate to Israel. So the woman is man's indispensable helper partner. The calling we have to fill, subdue, and have dominion over the earth cannot be achieved by one sex alone, but now is achieved by both male and female. We need to value and celebrate humanity as male and female. Gender is a gift of God. Both genders equally important in society and in the church. Doesn't mean that they are interchangeable in every case, but equally important nonetheless. We need to value that. Therefore, we need to value the importance of gender both in the home and in the church. And whenever we blur the lines one way or the other, the true complementarity that the Bible speaks to is lacking. When that lacks, both genders suffer, the society suffers, and so does the church. Gender is good. We're being made in the image of God. Life is to be honored, gender is good. We see that that is on display right here in Genesis chapter one. But notice also not just the image of God, notice the mandate of God. 
One of the distinct responsibilities we have as men and women created in the image of God is that we are called to fill, subdue, and have dominion over the earth. And both Adam and Eve were to exercise this dominion, be appoint, being appointed, as it were, as God's vice regents to govern, govern the earth on his behalf. Adam and Eve both had a responsibility to steward the creation. Both were given this authority and neither could fulfill this responsibility on his or her own. Kenneth Matthews, one of the commentators said, this commissioning of man and woman to reign over the good land involves procreation and only together can they achieve their destiny. This unity, however, is not merely sexual. It involves sharing spiritual, intellectual, and emotional dimensions as well. We're called to be stewards of this creation. This is the mandate that Adam and Eve were given in the, in the, in the, in the creation. And later in the garden, they were seeing chapter two, verse four, uh, 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to, of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you must surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the one you shall not eat. But you see that they're placed in the garden to steward and to care for and to tend the garden. It's a reminder that we all have a stewardship in this world, and while sin has greatly impacted and complicated and frustrated this calling, we are God's stewards entrusted with the responsibility to care for and steward his creation. This is not a call to exploit the creation, but a call to work and cultivate the earth, exercising dominion over his creation. It's a reminder too, by the way, of the value of work. The value of work. We were created to be a working people. Work is not a result of the fall. Work was frustrated as a result of the fall. But work existed prior to the fall as a good and valuable thing as we were called to be the stewards of creation. This is our mandate. So even in the work that you have today, Whatever that is, it can be defined in a variety of different ways, whether you're paid for it or not paid for it. Your work is valuable. And what you do is part of the stewardship that God has called you to, to, to participate in as men and women stewarding the responsibility he's given you. Creation. Number four, creation reveals God's purpose. Not only does it reveal God's design, God's goodness, God's authority, you see that it reveals God's purpose. Again, in kind of an overview fashion this morning as we're looking at this text, when we step back and look at Genesis 1 and even on into Genesis 2, what we see is truly magnificent. We see an eternal, omnipotent God who has created the heavens and the earth, filled it with beauty and order, an earth to be cared for and ruled by men and women living in perfect harmony together under the, under the authority of God, for the glory of God. In Genesis 1 and 2, perfection is on display. There's no conflict, there's no chaos, there's no corruption, there's no sin, there's no brokenness, there's no grief, there's no sorrow, all is good. Indeed, he says it's very good. But just one chapter later, that all changes. And the rest of the biblical narrative is given to us to reveal just how God has worked to rescue and one day will renew that which he created as good. 
In a book called Gospel and Kingdom, Graham Goldsworthy said, The creation story must never be regarded merely as a sort of biblical once upon a time. The fact, the fact that God is creator and that man is his creature establishes at the outset the basis, the basis for understanding what we would under, come later to know as the kingdom of God. He defines the kingdom as being God's people in God's place under God's rule. And that's exactly what we find here pre-fall in Eden in a perfect way. God's people in God's perfect place under God's amazing rule. The reality, though, is, as we'll see in just one more chapter later next week, the reality is that we rejected God's rule. God's people in God's place under God's rule was not good enough for us. We wanted to be our own people in our own place under our own rule. And so we rebelled against the creator. We sought our own way and we plunged the whole human race into sin. Adam and Eve through their choice there in the garden. And you may feel the, 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 the weight of that. If you're here today and, not, and you've not trusted in Christ, you're not a Christian, you, you may feel the actual longing in your soul to be in that kind of place, to be part of God's people, under God's rule, in God's place, and yet you feel so out of place. Friend, the reason you may feel so out of place, the reason that that is a reality that we all experience is because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have rebelled against our perfect creator and we deserve the righteous justice of God against our sin. And yet the good news is that God has acted in his grace to make us his people once again. That's what the whole point of the Bible is about. God redeeming a people for himself to be under his rule, in his place, for all of eternity. And friend, the, the glorious news is that despite our own sin and rebellion against our creator, God has acted through the sending of his son to pursue and reclaim a people for himself by giving his life for our sake, living perfectly and dying a death for sinners on the cross, raised to life three days later so that we might be able to know the fullness of joy as God's people, in God's place, under God's rule. It's a glorious picture of what God has done. As you look at this creation account, it's a glorious picture. Genesis 1 and 2, there's no sin. It's glorious, it's good, it's very good, it's magnificent. It's all a testimony to the amazing, majestic nature of God as it creates unless you believe it's just all a simulation. And if you think it's merely just a simulation or some random unguided process, then hey, let's eat and let's drink and let's be merry for tomorrow we die or whenever the program ends. But brothers and sisters, that is not at all the case. We know this is no simulation. We know this is not random. Creation is the work of a sovereign and majestic God who created us to live in his place, under his rule, enjoying the fullness of his presence for all eternity. That's where it begins. And brothers and sisters, you can rest assured because of his authoritative word that that's exactly how it's going to end.
as we long for what we call the new creation. God created, and God will recreate again. And we will inhabit that new creation for all of eternity because of what he has done to give us redemption and salvation in Christ. That's what we're going to continue to see unfold as we continue this series. The big picture begins right here in creation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time as we think about the doctrine of creation, as we think about the importance of your faithfulness to establish and to create. Lord, we know that what you did was indeed good. Lord, would you remind us, even through these things this day, these, these, these realities, Father, that you are who you are, just as you have said. That we would be a people who are able to trust your word, your authoritative word. That we would be a people who are able to delight in your goodness as we look around us and just take into consideration all that you've done. That our hearts would yearn with delight and joy in you because of who you are. Father, that we would be a people who value the image of God whether in our own lives or in the lives of those around us, that we would see people through the lens of them being image bearers first and foremost, and that our care of them would be reflective of that understanding and that the mandate that we've been given to be your stewards in this world would be one we take serious. Father, that we would ultimately delight in your purpose. Lord, you created this world and it was good, but Lord, we know that one chapter later that sin entered And that which was good was now marred. That which had no chaos now became chaotic. That which was pure now became filled with unrighteousness, depravity. And yet, Lord, you didn't leave it. You didn't leave the creation through our own rebellion to just spin out of control. You didn't destroy it and start over. God, you acted in grace to ultimately rescue sinners that we would indeed be a people in your place under your rule forever. Father, would you help us to see that plan unfold and would you help us to long for that day when that new creation will be reality. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.